Story number one. Democracy, such a human concept. Written by the Robot Apocalypse. Translated from a speech by Roroklov, head of the Social Science Department, the Harindi Institute of Knowledge on the planet of Surakai, delivered to the commencement of the 7th Planet-Wide Summit of Interspecies Sociology Research. Words in a square brackets are closed in human equivalents for species-specific language. Democracy. Such a human concept. No other species in the universe has ever had such an inefficient, drabumbling, fragile idea of governance. But of course, they do. And why not? It's not like anything else about them is normal. Humanity is, by and large, the most arrogant species in the galaxy has ever seen. They are not the best warriors, engineers, artists, science, or diplomats. They uh, suck at most things. Their technology is years behind everyone else's. They have trouble keeping from chopping each other to pieces. Their government cannot keep them in check. And how would they, given this idea of uh, democracy, has inflated their political discussions? This democracy means that they cannot make decisions quickly. Everything has to be approved many times over by different people and groups. Often they do not agree, but laws are still passed. By majority vote, they call it. What a concept! This democracy means that even when a decision is reached, not everyone follows it. So the government has to spend resources tracking down and punishing the offenders. This democracy means that their power is curtailed. Public opinion, finicky and unreliable, takes the day. They have to tolerate racist and xenophobiacs. They cannot execute the crazy, simply because these people have a voice, as much as everyone else hates it. You recall that I call them arrogant. Perhaps the word conflicts with your conceptions of humans. After all, they are more than willing to acknowledge their ignorance and to accept their faults, to learn from others who are competent. They come to a galaxy with humanity asking for guidance and knowledge, offering what little they had in terms of technology and culture. Do not be fooled. They are arrogant, I say, the most arrogant. Why? Because in their heart, to use the human term, every human believes that they are better than everyone else around them. Sure, perhaps not in terms of this one thing, or that one skill, but better nonetheless. Better, more privileged, more deserving, more qualified to make their own decisions. Overall, better. And thus, every human wants a voice, and every human wants a choice. Even though they are unimportant in the grand scheme of things, the story of humans run around themselves. They are not important, but uh, God, do they believe it. They are taught that from young age to believe that they matter in and of themselves. Do not believe in the delusion of their own central place in the universe is a thought akin to being mentally not well-adjusted. Low self-esteem, they call it. Entire philosophies have been built around their arrogance. To even think of suggesting that the world does not exist but in their mind, or that reality can be altered by what they will have to happen. The nerve. You will ask why it is that they have become so prominent then. If they are incompetent and arrogant, how have they become an interstellar force? How have they become part of the Council of Space-Faring Species and reached the far side of the galaxy? I say it is because of the arrogance that they have done so. 
It is because no member of the godforsaken species wanted to be left out. When the Surikin achieve something, their friends are happy for them. When a human achieves something, their friends are happy for them, and almost inevitably proceed to outdo them. Competition, they call it. They work fanatically to feel important, and so, instead of accepting their place in the galaxy, humanity proceeded to learn from and then outshine their benefactors, not because they were biologically better, but because they could not accept second place. When the Syracians' expedition proposed was denied, they trust in superiors and go back to their job. When a human's expedition proposal is denied, they scrape together a ship and crew and go on the expedition anyway. And when you ask a human why that would be worthwhile, they'll say, Because it is important to me, and frick anyone who thinks it isn't worth the effort. Arrogance, I tell you. Thousands of human discoveries have been the result of some human who thought that he knew better than the laws of physics and built a device in his backyard. Billions of others have been the result of trying to beat someone else to get that medal. Billions of pieces of human art have been created just for the sake of it. Humanity today is a force to be reckoned with because they, as a species, refuse to watch from the sidelines. They refuse to be a side character in someone else's story. The Frickers said frick you to biology and did their own thing because they refused to be unimportant. End of story number one. Story number two. Revelation at Sol. Written by Tweaky Grug. Access log number 15.675.9089.01. Password, hidden. Access, granted. FTL was surprisingly easy technology for us to develop, and nearly master. It was as if building blocks of our own hyperdrives are in orbit in our home world. We thought that perhaps we had a great benefactor out there, for surely this could only have occurred by some external entity. There was no such benefactor. In fact, we were the first to reach out into our solar system and grasp the void between the stars. Nearly fifty Juvan years had passed before we had found another sentient race, an extraplanet, almost a light-hearted mockery of our lovely ten-limbed forms. The first sapien Xenos we encountered were a worm-like in appearance. Some of us Juvans were mildly repulsed, but we were all so much more fascinated with what we could learn from them. Throughout the majority of our own history, it had been peaceful. A small war for vital resources here and an accidental meltdown of a few fission reactors there. These worms, on the other hand, seemingly were at constant war with one another, which we found equal parts intriguing and terrifying. Perhaps it wasn't an internal war, but merely something that they had evolved to do. After yet another three Jovian decades of deciphering their language and studying their history, did we finally understand this eternal war. The only food source that the Gundanites could eat anymore was themselves, other than the fact that they all ate other food sources on the planet and somehow hadn't gone extinct as a result. Their history was quite similar. The Elder Council decided that knowing what we know now, the Gundanites wouldn't make excellent friends. We proceeded to uplift them, and they were infinitely grateful for their first encounter was so peaceful and loving. It only took them three of their years to retrofit the entirety of their infrastructure with our technology, and we lauded them for it. Then we found something that restructured our understanding of the galaxy. 
we found the humans. We were not the first to reach out in the vast expanse beyond our home system, but we were certainly not the first. What led us to the humans was a peculiarly dim yellow dwarf that, given its mass, should have been much brighter. We studied it from a distance for years, and it only got dimmer. The joint scientific community between us Jovans and the Gundanites were set alight with the anomalous star. Theory crafting ran rampant like the ravenous wildfire. Some suggested that the star was being mined by a civilization for its raw resources. Others retorted with the fact that we were the first. Many simply said it was dying weird. Everyone else pushed me vehemently to go to the star and see what exactly was causing it. To the JRC put it to a vote, and it was a landslide in favor of getting inside the star system. So we sent the serene surveyor out to the system in question. Upon arrival, the crew was met with an entire solar system bustling with life. Every rock, gas giant, and ice giant in the system had sprawling cities and vibrant ecosystems. As the serene surveyor surveyed the, the system at relativistic snail space, the crew noticed a massive ring around the second, third, and fourth planetary bodies of the system. Each ring was calculated to be somewhere in the order of atmosphere of each planet, this tethers extending back down to the ground. Another look was the star heralded another revelation. It had been mined and it had a swarm of orbital habitats in a cloud around it. The crew of our exploration vessel was um, dumbfounded. How could any of this be done? How long did it take? Why haven't they expanded out of their solar system in all the time it took them to do this? Do they even have FDL? A message from the third planet chimed in the ship's comms in our own language, terrifying the crew to no end. The message simply stated, FDL has evaded us for a millennia, and there you are proving its existence and feasibility. We can teach you so much and you can teach us as well. So please do land on the third planet of our star so that we can immediately begin our prosperous relationship with you and your people. Welcome to the Soul System. End of story number two.